Hey everyone, welcome to The Beacon, a podcast dedicated to wealth and practice management for dentists. This podcast arose from our passion to curate the best ideas and insights in practice management, finance, investing, and leadership from our network of trusted advisors, consultants, and high-performing individuals. Our mission is illuminating your blind spots, providing actionable strategies, and helping you achieve what is most important. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information by visiting our website, omnistarfinancial.com. Remember, it ain't what you don't know that will get you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so that will. Welcome to another edition of The Beacon. Looking forward to talking with everyone today, and we've got a very important subject And I would say that it's the proper time to talk about this Uh, liability. COVID-19 has reminded all of us that no one is immune to this risk and risk management is something that should not be left undone. The primary focus of risk management, it's simple. It's a protection of resources from losses due mostly to legal action. And the activities associated with risk management are easily adapted to medical practices and dental practices. The focus on these activities is directed at identifying areas of legal vulnerability and taking steps directed at mitigating or even eliminating the risks. Additionally, purchasing insurance to offset potential financial losses is essential to risk management, but it's certainly not the only thing that you should be considering. Let's dive in and get you educated on things you need to know to be better protected. The current areas of legal vulnerability center around issues that would be absence of consent to care, things like negligence, and nothing protects you from that one, breach of contract, Those are three that should always be top of mind. Consent to care, to be valid, must be informed and granted voluntarily. To meet the test of informed, the information given to your patient must be in understandable language, and it has to contain the risks and the benefits and alternatives to the recommended treatment. Otherwise, it may not provide much of a defense. In addition, the patient must be given an opportunity to have his or her questions answered. It's not unusual for a doctor or a dentist to offer a solution, whether it be a medication or a surgery. Whatever the case, they don't always give information that's necessary for the patient to make what they believe is a a solid decision. Obtaining consent in the treatment of minors, don't forget that one requires a signature of those with legal capacity. Without that, you don't have consent. Before we get too much further in our discussion, I think it's important to mention that this spectrum of asset protection strategies has continued to grow over the years. Things like offshore trusts, uh, retirement plans, all of these continue to be popular among those in the medical profession. Legislation such as uh, federal bankruptcy laws, Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, otherwise known as ERISA, those types of things are in place to exempt certain assets from creditors. However, just because you get creative with your planning or you implement some of these things that I just mentioned, that does not always equate to optimal results. 
The bottom line is, in the wake of litigation, you don't want something to be so elaborate or esoteric that it collapses under the scrutiny of a judge or jury. You have to be able to describe specifics about how your assets were transferred or the mechanisms by which you're using to protect those assets. And if your explanation is not sound or compelling, you might find yourself in a position where the court rules in favor of the plaintiff. The objective here is making it as difficult as legally possible for litigators or creditors and others to win a judgment against you or your business. Creating such protection that puts litigants on notice that going to court with you will require an expensive lawsuit that could last for months and even years, that is the best defense. So, This isn't simple, but it's doable. It requires a little planning. It is going to cost you a little money, but it will save you stress. It will eliminate stress, and it can mean the difference in you remaining solvent or becoming bankrupt. The Marriott Corporation, everyone knows that name. Marriott is synonymous in the people-pleasing business or what we would call the hospitality business. When they split into two corporations back in the early 90s, they had one major motivation, and that was dividing cash-rich assets from what they called their lawsuit-prone operations. Now, as a dentist or a physician, you may not think you need to worry about that since your assets clearly are nothing like that of the resort giant Marriott. However, this lesson should be used by everyone listening to this podcast, whether you are a small practice owner or maybe you have multiple practices. It should be used by every one of you who wishes to build a veil around assets and your practice. All over the U.S., business owners are discovering the benefits of establishing multiple legal entities in an effort to alleviate or eliminate the risk of civil litigation. And civil litigation is real. It happens. We live in a litigious society. In fact, I believe lawsuits today are uh, being filed at a faster pace than ever. And with COVID-19, we'll talk through some of these points, but with COVID-19, I think the presence of risk has increased. I think the attorneys who are preying on this very set of risks are growing, and they're looking for new clients. They're looking for ways to win awards and be compensated. Building an asset defense strategy, paramount. No other way to say it. It's paramount. And it must be done before you find yourself facing these unintended consequences. So how do you do it? Well, let's look at some examples. First, we can find examples in every industry and profession. This is not limited to uh, the hotel-motel industry or doctors or dentists. This covers the gamut. Uh, risk management is everywhere, and the need for risk management, I should say, is everywhere. Let me give you an example. Colorado Ski Resort, some of the best in the world. A particular ski resort in Colorado set up six corporations, one for each ski run. You heard me right. One for each ski run. That seems 
incredibly ridiculous and overdone, but they had very good reasons for setting up those six corporations. We know of a New York City cab agency that owned 40 taxis. They set up 20 corporations. Each corporation owns two taxis. I'm not saying that you need to set up six or 20 corporations. What I am saying is, depending on your situation, you need the right entities, you need the right legal tools to be sure you're protecting your assets and your business, and ultimately your family. Most dentists will not be sued as often as, say, a global hotel chain. We all know that. But plaintiffs are winning million-dollar judgments all the time against dentists and other medical professionals. These cases range from things that are simple, like allergic reactions to anesthesia or failure to diagnose other things that complicate a procedure, things that maybe they should have known, failure to diagnose ailments um, to procedures resulting in nerve damage, for example, is one that we hear about a lot. Lawsuits against dentists unrelated to dental care can be just as real. The old slip and fall, uh, the trip and fall. Around the practice, these things occur. Are they an accident? Are they deliberate? Who knows? But they bring unnecessary litigation all the time. Wrongful termination lawsuits, sexual harassment, discrimination, the list goes on. As I said, we live in a litigious society and it it really, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Therefore, one would think that very few dentists would be short-sighted enough to operate as a sole proprietor or in a general partnership, which, by the way, leaves you personally liable for a judgment. Now, think about that. You're in a general partnership or a sole proprietorship. Things are going great, and all of a sudden you're sued. Everything you own personally is exposed. We've seen a lot of surveys that tell us that as many as 50% of dentists in the United States practice without the benefit of a legal structure. We serve a lot of dental practices. Our firm is in the business of helping dentists with practice management and wealth management. That's who we are and that's what we do. And I can tell you, being in practices every day and lots of them throughout a year, these statistics are not wrong. We come across these types of situations all the time. So the surveys are, are real. Now, when you practice without the benefit of a legal structure, you become vulnerable to a host of medical and non-medical liabilities. Whatever the actual number, any dentist practicing as a sole proprietorship is personally exposed to unlimited legal liability. Let me repeat that. Any dentist or doctor practicing as a sole proprietorship is personally exposed to unlimited legal liability. Being in business without legal protection, folks, it's like riding a motorcycle without protective headgear. All it takes is one accident, one collision, and chances are without the right headgear, you're not going to survive. What might not be obvious to our listeners who are operating under one all-inclusive legal entity or identity, such as a professional corporation or a PC, a professional association, or, or maybe a professional limited liability company, a PLLC, could be just as risky. 
Uh, I knew of one doctor who had more than $2 million in his professional corporation's account uh, or accounts receivable. Another dentist told me he held almost $1 million worth of real estate owned by his professional corporation. Take either one of them. One lawsuit against these professional corporations could result in a total loss of those assets. So many corporations have learned the hard way, unfortunately, that combining assets or business assets with business operations in one entity, you risk losing everything in one lawsuit. It's that simple. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm simply trying to educate you and give you what you need to know so that you can make better decisions. This is a blind spot that has been in existence uh, for my career. And I've been in in, uh, the wealth management business and consulting business for nearly 30 years. And this is not new, but I think it bears repeating. I think it's so important that we repeat it today, given COVID-19, because a lot of these challenges, a lot of these liabilities, I think we're going to see them rear their heads. Uh, Lawsuits will likely uh, go up in numbers significantly over the coming months, uh, given this situation. I'm going to make it simple. Keep your business assets separate from your business operations. And whatever you do, keep personal assets out of the business. So how will we achieve this measure of protection? It sounds like I'm saying to you, you've got to be so careful. You've got to be precise with the way these things are are built, the legal documents. And, And that's right. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's simple, actually, not nearly as complicated as you might think. Cash-rich assets such as buildings, land, those things should be kept in a separate entity, such as a limited partnership or maybe an LLC. Otherwise, one lawsuit against uh, uh, your practice or your business can drain your corporation, and it can, it can take everything. Instead of leaving all these things exposed, you want to put them in the right entity, And professional corporations should only have minimal amount of assets. Um, You don't want those to become the target of litigation. So there's no right or wrong way to diversify. So many variables here to consider. If you have a lot of dentists in the practice, that may change uh, that may change the outcome and certainly change the way that we build uh, the the right protection strategies. Uh, Is your building and land? owned or leased? And what is the value of the professional equipment? All of these things have to be considered so we can decide which entity or entities makes the most sense. Let me give you some general principles that you can use to protect yourselves from lawsuits uh, directed at your practice or you specifically. Uh, Some time ago, we had a dental office in the Midwest, five dentists working together, no legal distinction between their practices. One of the dentists administered nitrous oxide to a child who experienced a severe allergic reaction. Unfortunately, this child died before the medics could get him to an emergency room. Here is the sad reality. Only one dentist was responsible. All five dentists were included in the malpractice lawsuit. Two or more dentists in a single practice should have a separate PC or PA. Is that a little more complicated? You bet. Will it create greater protection? 
Absolutely. If you don't do it this way, a lawsuit against one dentist can subject all the dentists in that practice to the same liability. No reason to face that if it could be avoided with a little planning. So let's talk about how we make this planning become reality and better risk management. So first, we legally separate the property from the practice. So if you own land or buildings or both, you want to talk to your legal advisors about holding them in distinct legal entities separate from the practice. Brick and mortar, separate from the operation. If the same corporation owns the property and operates the business, that is jeopardy. Both are subject to one lawsuit. Legally separate equipment from your practice. That's the next step. So depending on the value of your equipment, you might want to use the same principle in owning that equipment. So if everything from the lobby chairs to, say, your CBCT machine is owned by your LLC and leased to the practice, all of your business assets are insulated from lawsuits against the practice. With the fast rate at which dental equipment traditionally depreciates, however, smaller offices may not want to go to this much trouble. just depends, but I think that's one that you can talk about with your advisors and figure out which one makes the most sense. So let's say that a dental office owns 400000 in new equipment and comes under the scrutiny of, uh, of a lawsuit uh, or becomes victim to a judgment which forces the sale of the dental equipment. The best part of all of this, if planned properly, the event could effectively put this practice out of business. But if planned properly, let's say that the practice is sued, but, but in this case, all of its assets are owned by a separate entity, perhaps the limited liability company, then the plaintiff's attorney would be unable to touch the business assets. Here's the, here's the good news. You're wide open now to go reopen your business under a different corporation name and subsequently lease all the same equipment to the new practice. In this way, you come out in a much better place. You still have your equipment. You can go back to work. The next one, legally separate family life from the practice. I cannot stress this enough, and we reiterate this every chance we have. We believe that too many dentists operate their practices like a family business. Having seen this because we've helped so many dentists set up their businesses and legal structures, I think it's safe to say that this area trips up more dentists than probably any other. Suffice it to say, if dentists go to the trouble of having corporations, they need to run them like corporations. This means yearly meetings, and I know you don't want to hear that, But corporate officers, for a legal entity to operate as such, you need to have corporate officers hold a yearly meeting. Minutes are recorded and they're filed. And above all, spouses cannot go shopping with the company checkbook. You need to make sure that that business is operated as a business. If if your spouse wants to go shopping on the company's credit card or on the company checkbook, Write a check for a distribution as an owner distribution. Get it out of the company, but don't run things through the company. And here's why. Courts can pierce the corporate veil all too easily when you get lazy with the details of your company. 
case after case, dentists and doctors open themselves up to a litany of trouble when they mingle family finances with the business. Just don't do it. Let's talk about liability insurance. Liability insurance is not perfect, and I'm not here to tell you that it is. Judgments may not be entirely covered by insurance policies because of payout caps or exclusions. Insurance is there to help, but it, it, it's rarely going to be a total solution. For instance, one dentist found out that a lawsuit filed against him fell under a policy exclusion, and that oral surgeon was held personally responsible for more than $300,000 in the final judgment. In this case, the lesson was clear. Although you may faithfully pay your malpractice premiums, you pay a large judgment with your personal assets. Protecting personal assets requires more than simply deeding assets to your spouse. I would tell you that courts today consider these practices, particularly in response to a lawsuit, to be a form of fraud. And, and there's others. But for this reason, we're starting to see a lot more professionals title their homes and savings accounts, even investments, to separate legal entities. So much, much like dividing land and buildings from a dental practice uh, or a medical practice, some will wisely and appropriately title their family assets to, say, a trust or a limited partnership or a family limited partnership or some type of corporation. If your home is owned by a, a, a well-drafted legal entity, much harder for the court to seize or for any of your assets uh, makes it much harder for them to be seized. The principles are simple and must be followed. First, you have to divide your business assets from your business operations. Review carefully, and I mean carefully, the nature of your business and professional activities. Can you logically divide the business or professional activity into two or more separate entities? For example, why does, say, your dental practice have to include the laboratory? Why do we have to include accounts receivable? Could we separate accounts receivable, uh, make those separate from the professional corporation? Why must your professional corporation own your office? Does it make any sense that it owns the brick and mortar? Dividing the ownership of your assets, literally, folks, can save you in a big way from litigation or worse, the settlement following litigation. Keep your personal life separate from your professional life. If private and professional assets are mixed, you are creating vulnerabilities that are unnecessary. You have to train yourself to avoid that temptation. And it is a temptation. It's so easy for the two to get mixed. Structure yourself to withstand litigation before the lawsuit occurs. So using asset protection principles before the problem arises, that's the only way to plan. That's the strategy that must be employed if you wish to reduce or eliminate the risks that we're talking about. So as you restructure your assets, make sure that your attorney is fully versed in modern asset protection principles. You know, one that I haven't talked about in a long time, I want to mention this one. They, they refer to it as equity stripping. Uh, it's essentially borrowing money from a bank when you really don't need it. Uh, and it seems counterproductive, when used for purposes of equity stripping, it not only makes sense, but could be a pretty wise financial move. I'm not suggesting that you go out and borrow money, but here's how it works. You take out a loan uh, from your banker or your credit union, uh, and you secure it with property of your business that is on your balance sheet. Could be equipment, 
could be real estate, a vehicle, uh, or even receivables, inventory. Should creditors or a litigant attempt to seize these encumbered assets, they would first have to pay off the bank loan, which renders the entire exercise to be one in futility. And that's what you want. So despite the simplicity of this strategy, it actually works, um, but we rarely hear about it. Rarely will financial advisors talk about it. Bankers don't talk about it, but it could be a, a useful strategy. So the reality is that your success and stature as the owner of a prosperous practice makes you a target. You might be saying, well, gosh, my practice is not that prosperous. Doesn't matter if you are a practicing dentist or a medical doctor. I am sorry to tell you, you have a target on your back uh, and you are being targeted for a wide spectrum of potential misfortune from creditors, judgments, divorce, tax audits, partnerships gone wrong. So many forces that can quickly erode or certainly reduce your business and your personal assets. So lots to gain from planning, very little to lose. I would say that few professionals have as much to gain from asset protection as professionals like dentists and doctors. There's never been a better time to consider your set of circumstances, and there's never been a better time to make necessary changes to protect yourself, your practice, and your family. I encourage you to sit down with your wealth management professional, your financial advisor, your attorney, whoever it is that you work with, whoever it is that you trust for this kind of advice, evaluate your liabilities, your insurance policies. Be sure that your list is, is accurate. Be sure that you're considering things that have, have grown based on markets or the uh, growth of your practice. All of these things, as they grow, they get very attractive to those who are looking to file a lawsuit. The quickest and most cost-effective approach to gaining good blanket coverage, take out a large umbrella policy to safeguard those assets. Let me be clear on this. This does not uh, remove the need to get the legal documents that I've talked about today in place. Rather, this is a part of the process. So you need the insurance, but you also, it's very likely that you need uh, some of these other things that we've talked about today. The ultimate goal here, placing your assets in such a way that they are beyond the reach of any legal action directed at you or your business. Now, we're almost out of time today, so I'm not going to get too deep in the legal arrangements or the types of entities that one could use, but I'll quickly name them. The sole proprietorship, we've already said, that is not a way to plan leaves you exposed to a lot of risk. So we encourage you to reconsider. If you're thinking about opening a practice or you operate as a sole proprietor, get some help with that. can easily have better protection. You deserve better protection. A sole proprietorship is not a good plan or a good strategy. Professional corporations or PCs, uh, that's simply a corporation for licensed professionals like doctors or lawyers. And then there's the PLLC, a professional limited liability company, generally considered to have less of an administrative burden, uh, which means less paperwork. Maybe if there is a drawback, 
Uh, it's the dentist's or doctor's Medicare and self-employment tax liability is capped based upon the profitability of the practice as opposed to personal income. Simply put, your tax burden could be a little higher. Lastly, making the S election. This one is confused quite often. An S corp is often referred to as an entity, but I want to I want to make a correction there. It's it's not an entity. The subchapter S is actually a federal election, and it doesn't affect how the state sees your business. What it does affect is the taxation for you and your practice. When you choose the S corp structure for taxing or for tax purposes, you can operate under an LLC or have an LLC, but you can elect S-Corp treatment. So electing the S-Corp, we see that more often than not, and it's usually where most of our clients tend to operate. Only the income paid to employees is subject to employment taxes. Other distributions made to owners are not considered wages, and they get some preferential tax treatment. If you selected to form, say, the PLLC, because of all the self-employment tax savings that we just talked about, that could be a good match, uh, meaning the S-Corp, for the PLLC, which has less administrative requirements. And so in our opinion, when you take an LLC or a PLLC and couple that with the S-Election, in many ways, you get the best of both worlds. You face a lot of liability. COVID-19 has certainly added complexity to what was already complicated enough. The litigious nature of our society probably increases given the circumstances brought on by COVID-19. Thanks for joining us this week on The Beacon. Make sure you visit our website, www.omnistarfinancial.com, where you can subscribe to the show and our newsletters. You can also drop us a line with topic suggestions for upcoming shows. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would appreciate you rating us on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. This podcast is a publication of Omnistar Financial Group. Any information provided has been prepared from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed, does not represent all available data necessary for making business or investment decisions, and is for information purposes only and does not represent or constitute any recommendations. All expressions of opinion reflect that of the authors and are subject to change. If this podcast contains any projections, forecasts, guarantees, and or predictions of any kind, you are required to ignore the same. Omnistar is not engaged in the practice of law or accounting, and any information in this podcast should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Any distributions, use, or copying of this podcast other than the intended recipients is unauthorized.